Ek wil net voor ons, voor ons begin um, Net voor Een paar nieuwe mense wat hy is net noem um, Ons het uh, Elke eerste zondag van die maand Het onze Engelse dienst um, So Janneke, jy Jy word vanochtend in Engels gedoen nee, so, um, so ons het elke, elke eerste zondag van die maand Is de Engelse dienst En um, die rest van die, van die maand is Afrikaans um, Maar ons het een redelijke groepie mense, Engels sprekende mense in ons gemeente, so dit help hulle ook en uh, dan sit ons, al ons boodskappen gaan op die internet, so as jy die boodskap weer wil gaan luister, of jy wil van ons ander boodskappen gaan luister dit is op ons web- webblad um, en ons het nogal, daar is redelijk baie mense van ander lande ook, wat na ons boodskappen luister en daarom doen ons so een, een boodskap in Engels in een maand so, vir ochend is uh, weet nie of het hele gelukkige dag is nie of ongelukkige dag nie, maar vir ochend is uh, is ons Engelse dienst En dan wil ek net noem, ons gaan vir iemand doop vanmorgen En as daar enig iemand is wat een begeerd het om gedoop te word vir ochend Of dier die dienst gedoop wil word Dan, uh, nie dier die dienst, nie, dier die dienst besluit jylle wil gedoop word Dan sal ons geleendheid gee um, En as jylle nie kleren is langgebring het nie, maar nie stress nie um, Ons sal jylle op een manier kan uithelp um, So, um, as, jy, as jy gedoop wil wees, dan kan jy net na die tyd vir my Wow, jy eindelijk gaan ek jou uitnoem, jy kan net voor hen toekom So dat ons jou kan doop so vanochtend, moet ek seker in Engels begin, nee. This morning. This morning, dankie Donna. Ek is bly ons het wakker gemeente lede. En uh, ek het vir iemand gesê dat ek sal so vinger na hulle wees vanochtend as hulle nie slaap raak, maar, um, maar hulle weet wie hulle is. So this morning I want to talk to you about being fair. And, um, and Christa, I must just tell you that... Um, <laughs> when you came to me this morning because normally what they do is before the service starts um, Christo or, or um, Ernie will come to me and say to me listen the last song before we before the the, the, the message will be this song and, and Christo came to me and he said I'm not too sure it might be this one or it might be that one and he wasn't too sure what was, go- what was going to happen and in the previous song we sang I thought that was going to be it and I looked at Ernie and Ernie said mm, you know he pointed his finger at, at uh, Christo didn't know what was going to happen either and then you sang that song and I'm so glad you did because um, as you will see this morning it, it actually supports the message um and it is so amazing how our Father sometimes brings things together so that we, so that we can understand that we are still in His will and that, um, that we've got confirmation of the message that we actually bring um, on a mo- uh, Sunday morning. So as I said, the theme for this morning is being fair. Maybe I should have changed the name, but I wasn't too sure what I was going to call it last night when I, or yesterday when I prepared the message. And um, I sh- maybe I should have said being unfair or unfairness or maybe something else. But it doesn't matter. Because at the end, what I want to come to is that, is that our Father is always a fair God. He's always being fair, even though you and I might not think so. And, and the reason why I'm, I'm talking about this, mor- this, this morning is that um, last week, uh, just before the, 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 the message, somebody said something um, about fairness. And they said something about, in Afrikaans, they, they said something about rechtvaardigheid and the, and the fairness in the world. And there is no more fairness or the unfairness that we believe, what, that we see in the world. And um, it got me thinking about this whole concept of unfairness. And, and our Father really laid it on my heart to talk about this this morning. 
And you know, we in the beginning, as I said earlier, we, we had, in the beginning of 2020, we, we're at the start of this, this new year, and most people will make New Year's resolutions. And, and I don't know if you've seen this, all you have to do is watch Facebook, and you see all the New Year's resolution messages that are going around. And they, what are they trying to do by, by making New Year's resolutions? They are trying to change bad habits and, and develop positive habits to improve their lives and, and to get rid of the unfairness that they experienced in 2019 and to get rid of the difficult time that, that most people experienced in 2019 so that they can have a, a different life. And, and by, by thinking that they're going to have a different life, they make New Year's resolutions. Well, most of them last at least a week. Um, some of them get to a month, but then it just fizzles out and nothing happens with regards to that. And it's interesting to know where this, this tradition came from. And I thought I'd, I'd just share it with you, this whole New Year's resolution thing. I don't make any New Year's resolutions at all. I think you've got to be consistently in a process of transformation. Every day of your life. So, and that is what Abba Father wants of us, that we, that we continually transform into what He wants us to be. And, and that we transform, transform into the image of Yeshua, of Jesus Christ, of His Son. That's what we need to do. Now, January, the month January is named after a Greek mythical god um, of early Rome, a guy by the name of Ioannis. And, and Ioannis was an interesting guy, so I thought I'd put up some pictures of Ioannis for you. And um, Ioannis had two faces. The one face looking forward and the one face looking backward. And this allowed him to look back on the past and forward into the future. And on December the 31st, the Romans imagined Ioannis looking backward into the old year and forward into the new year. And this became a symbolic time for Romans to make resolutions for the new year and forgive their enemies for troubles and unfairness that happened in the past. And they also believed that Johannes could forgive them for their wrongdoings and their unfairness that they committed in the previous year. And then they would give gifts and make promises believing that Johannes would see this and bless them in the new year. And that's an interesting concept because it is not biblical. And if we look and we read what the Bible says in Luke 9 verse 62, it says, And Jesus said unto, unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. And what is he saying here? He, said you sh- he says you should never live in the past. Because the past is gone. And I don't know if you're aware of this, but you cannot go and change what happened in the past. You cannot go back and change the things that you said to somebody, it's already said. You cannot go back and undo the things that you did, it's already done. And Yeshua says, the longer we stay in the past, the worse our future will be. Because we will not be able to live in godly authority if we keep on living in the past and keep on looking back. But I'm not going to talk to you about New Year's resolutions this morning. Most of us have the tendency to look back at the past or look at certain events in our lives evaluating the fairness of what had happened to us in the past. We look at the lives of, of successful people. 
We look at the lives and the success of non-believers and, and we instantly think that life is not fair because look at what they have and we don't. You know, and it's quite interesting because we love the Lord and, and, and we live clean and good Christian lives. And yet we experience adversity. It's not always going well with us. Life is not always fair to us, even though we are strong believers in our Father. And you know, there were many people in the Bible that were also concerned about the unfairness that happened around them. Jonah. If you just think about Jonah, Jonah didn't think it was fair that our father sent him to Nineveh, to a heathen nation, to give them a message from our father to warn them of our father's um, uh, judgment that he was that he was going to betray upon them. And what did he do? He fleed from his responsibility that our father put on him. He didn't want to do it. He thought it was unfair of our father to ask him, who was a Hebrew, to go and talk to a heathen. They didn't. David. David didn't think it was fair that he was uh, persecuted by King Saul, and that he was persecuted by his own son. And, and sometimes you just have to write some of the, the, some of the Psalms, and you can see that, the, that the, his, his belief of the unfairness that has happened to him comes through in some of those Psalms. Solomon, David's son, didn't think that life was fair. And he wrote in Ecclesiastes 9 verse 11, and, and I'm reading this, this was this, this, unlike me, but I'm, I'm reading this from a different version than the King James this morning. And it's called the easy to read version, and the only reason why I'm doing this is to give you a, a better idea of what Solomon is actually trying to portray here. And he says this, he says, I also saw other things in this life that were not fair. He says, the fastest runner does not always win the race. The strongest soldier does not always win the battle. Wise people don't always get the food. Smart people don't always get the wealth. Educated people don't always get the praise they deserve. And when the time comes, bad things can happen to anyone. Bad things can happen to anyone. And so many times I hear people ask the question, why do bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen to believers? We believe in God, why do bad things happen to us? And then sometimes what we do is we drive past big houses and mansions with expensive cars parked outside while we are battling to pay the rent. And we wonder how we're going to fix the 10-year-old car that we're driving. It doesn't look fair. We see people making a mockery of the law. Yet innocent people are punished unjustly. Life is not fair. And it's sometimes difficult for us to understand why life is not fair. There was a gentleman in the Old Testament, Asaph. And Asaph also didn't believe that life was fair. And he complained to our Father about it. And he wrote a psalm. And the psalm is Psalm 73. And you can go and read the whole of Psalm 73. But in Psalm 73, he pours his heart out to our Father. And and he starts with this in, in Psalm 73, verse 13 to 14. He says, Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain. And, and, and have you ever asked yourself this question? And, and saying to Abba Father, Abba Father, I'm, I'm doing everything that you want me to do and look at my circumstances. Am I doing this in vain? Asaph felt the same. 
He says, and I washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. And he says, even though I live a good, clean, godly life, I still have adversity. I still go through pain. I still go through difficult times. God, this is not fair. This is what he's crying out for. And I'm sure that most of us this morning can relate to the honest confession of Asaph who came close to stumbling because he envied the wicked. And he says this in verse 2 and 3. He says the following. He says, but as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Guys, this is not new. And, and, and if, if you are honest this morning, you will, you will admit that sometimes we ask the same question. Lord, look at how well it's going with those people. They don't even serve you. When I go to church on a Sunday morning, they go by cycling. When I go to Bible study on a Wednesday, they have a party. And look at them. Look how well it's going with them. Why am I suffering? It is so unfair. And how many times have we been in this situation? Where we've cried out to our Father, but God, it is not fair. Why am I suffering when the ungodly is prospering? Why am I suffering when the dishonest people around me get away with their dishonesty? And listen, you all only have to read Facebook to see that this happens on a regular basis. Because people put their, their hearts on a screen these days, not on paper anymore. We tell everybody in the world what is going on in our lives. And you can probably add many more scenarios to these thoughts. And somehow we have come to expect that only good things should happen to believers. And, and if I ask you this morning to raise your hands, who believes that, I'll probably get a few hands this morning to say, but only good things should happen, should happen to believers. We shouldn't go through adversity because we believe. We shouldn't have trouble because we trust the Lord. And you know there's no such guarantee in the Bible? Not even one. And we expect that as believers we should not suffer any infirmities, any financial problems, any disasters, or anything that could be regarded as bad. And unfortunately we question everything bad that happens to us, and the first thing that we do is we try and analyze what we have done wrong. We, we try and analyze where we have failed in our faith. You know, when, when I do counseling, I cannot tell you how many people sit and ask me and they say, I don't understand why I'm going through this. What have I done wrong? Am I not believing strong enough? And they, they, they immediately think that there's something wrong with their faith because this bad thing has happened to them. But it's not always true. We try and analyze everything. Paul writes in Romans 9 verse 20, he says, yes, rather, O man, who are you answering against God? Shall the thing formed say to the one forming it, why did you make me like this? And Paul is quoting here from Isaiah 29 verse 16, exactly the same words. And then in Hebrew 13 verse 5, 
He writes, Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. And our Father is not saying that you're not going to go through bad things. He's not saying that, that He will protect you from everything out here in the world. But He's saying this, He says, regardless of what happens to you, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. I will always be there for you. But what does fairness actually mean? And when we look at the definition of fairness, fairness is freedom from bias, dishonesty or injustice. That is what fairness actually means. Fairness is the freedom from bias, the freedom from dishonesty and the freedom from injustice. And to be fair is to be just. That is to be, to be guided by truth, be guided by reason and be guided by justice. And whatever our outward circumstances, we can always choose to treat others fairly and thereby making life a little bit easier and a little bit more fair for those around us. And the basic reason that life is not fair is because life is not guided by truth and reason and justice. And you have to just read the news and look at the news and look at what's going on in the world and you will see that the world is not guided by truth and reason and justice. We live in a sinful world occupied by sinful people. And therefore John wrote in 1 John 5 verse 19, he says, And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lies in wickedness. The, the Afrikaans says it, says it well to me. It says, In the hele wereld is in die mag van die bose. The whole world lies in wickedness. You see, when people are selfish and impatient or greedy, then they tend to act in ways that secure an advantage for themselves without any thought for others. They don't care about other people. And as a result, people are treated unfairly. And Yeshua told the story of the unjust judge. And this judge neither feared God nor cared for, people, uh, for what people thought. And his rulings were not based on justice or anyone's best interest except his own. He only cared about himself. And he was a wicked judge and therefore Yeshua called him unjust. You see, when unfair people are in positions of power, then life is unfair for the multitudes. But sometimes we see things in an unfair or unjust way when in actual fact it is very fair. But we feel and we see it as being unfair. And the reason why we experience it as unfair is because we believe that we are unjustly treated. Yeshua told the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. It's in Matthews 20 if you want to go read it. And it talks about these, these uh, laborers. And the owner of the vineyard hired some laborers early in the morning, at the beginning of the day. And then when he hired them, he negotiated a day's pay with them. And they accepted it. And then he hired some people later in the day. And then as the day progressed, very late in the day, he hired some more people to work in his vineyard. And everyone received the same pay at the end of their day, regardless of how long they worked for him. And then we see in Matthew 20, verse 10 to 12, but when the first came, these are the people that started early in the morning, the, the first. When the first came, they supposed that they should have received more. 
their view. They, they, they should have received more. And they likewise received every man a penny. And what that penny means is that every man received a day's pay, regardless of what time they started. But these guys thought, well, we should get more because we started earlier. We worked longer than these guys did. We should, be, we should get paid more. And when they had received it, they murmured against the goodman of the house, saying, These last have wrought but one hour, and thou hast made them equal unto us, which have borne the burden and the heat of the day. <laughs> they upset. They worked the entire day. These guys only work for an hour and they get the same pay. How can you do this to us? You are unfair. But you know, we must remember one thing, that fairness and equality are two completely different things. Fairness and equality is not the same. Sometimes we see things, we want everything to be equal, and when things are equal, we regard them as fair. Or if they're not equal, we regard them as unfair. And what these guys did is they looked at this process, this was, in their view, this was not equal, because they worked a longer day, they worked harder, and, and these guys didn't, and they, they get equal pay. Something is wrong. I was having a conversation the other day and they were talking about women and sport. And this young gentleman, and I was quite surprised because he was fairly young, came to me and he said to me the following, he said, but women shouldn't get the same pay as men in sport. And I said, why not? He says, because men are stronger. And I said, so what? And he got upset with me. And I said, who cares? Who cares if the women are paid exactly the same as men? Who cares? But you see, we see that as being unfair. And, and, and you can look at it from a different perspective. I, I want to explain this to you from a different perspective. You know, I grew up in a house and we were four children. My dad believed in equality. Because he treated every single one of us exactly the same. And most of you sitting here would say, I think that's fair. But it wasn't. Because each one of us had a different expectation. We had different characters. And we expected our father to treat us differently. And he, he, he needed to treat us the way that we wanted to be treated. So for some of us, <laughs> it was great, because that's what we expected. For one or maybe two others, it didn't work so well, because that's not what they expected. Some of us thought my dad was fair, others thought he wasn't. But he treated all of us exactly the same. And therefore, when we look at this, you know, we cannot look at, at, at fairness and equality in the same way. And sometimes when we believe something is fair, because my dad thought he was fair in treating all of us the same way, we didn't think it was. You see, the people in this parable believed that they were treated unfairly. And like I said, most of us would have thought exactly the same way. But then the owner of the vineyard answered them, and listen to what he says in Matthew 20, verse 13 to 16. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I do thee no wrong. Didst not thou agree with me for a penny? Take that thine is, and go thy way, I will give unto this last, even as unto thee. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with my own? Is thine eye evil, 
because I am good. And there's an interesting thing about this when we read in the, in the Bible about somebody's eye being evil, it means that someone was not generous. That's what that word means. You know, sometimes we read this, the evil eye, and we think this is really bad. It's not that bad. It just means that the person is not generous. He says, so, so the last shall be first and the first last, for many be called, but few chosen. And the question that we have here is, did the owner of the vineyard treat them with bias, dishonesty, or injustice? No, he did not. He treated everybody according to the agreement that he had with them. He was just and fair and honest in every single thing that he did with them. With each person. But they thought that he was unfair. It was only them. The people who worked longer that believed that they should be treated differently to the others. And our Father is always fair. And our Father is always just and righteous. And He always acts in accordance with what is right and according to His word and according to His absolute truth. And we see this in Deuteronomy 32 verse 4. And it says, He is the rock. The work is, his work is perfect. For all His ways are judgment. A God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is He. He's always right. We see this in Revelation 15 verse 3. It says, And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. He's always righteous. He's always fair. And he's always true to his word. And do you notice that in, in, in this verse that I've just read from Revelation, that they are not saying anything about themselves. They're only talking about our Father. You see, our Father expects you and I to act in accordance to His will. But people do not always obey His commands. And that's why the world is in the state that it's in. That's why our relationships are in the state that it's in. Because we're not acting in accordance to His word within our relationships. Because we are selfish in our relationships. And because the world is a selfish place, that's why we see unfairness. And we experience unfairness. You see, we can decide whether we are going to continue in our it's not fair little pity party that we sometimes have. Or we can choose to gain insight into our Father's perspective of what life should be. And when we go back to Psalm 73 and we look at the, the conclusion that Asaph comes to, we understand what our focus should actually be. And he says this in Psalm 73 verse 25 to 28. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon the earth that I desire besides thee. My flesh and my heart fails, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all of them that go a-whoring from thee. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord Yahweh. That I may declare all thy works. You see, there are many times when it seems that life isn't fair. Because the wicked prosper and the godly suffer. But that should not be our focus. Our focus should be on our Father and on Him only. You see, we will destroy ourselves and our faith if we try to understand why this is happening to us on earth. 
And so many people are deceived by, by prosperity preaching. Who believe that only good things happen to believers. And if you are experiencing bad things, your belief is not strong enough. You see, the problem that we all face is that envy is at the heart of the problem. We keep on looking at what others have, and we want exactly the same as they have. Because if we don't, it is unfair. And Asaph made this very clear in Psalm 73 verse 3, where he says, For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. See, we are saying, I've heard this so many times before, where people say, we must take back what the enemy has stolen from us. See, Paul has a lot to say about envy. And at the heart of this envy lies the desire to be rich. And if you look at 1 Timothy 6 verse 9 to 10, he says, But they they that will be rich. And and that word will also means they that desire to be rich. So I'm going to read it like that. But they that desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which will some, uh, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. He doesn't say that money is the problem. What he's saying here is that the love for money is the problem. When our only focus is on wealth and not on our Father, and not on Yeshua, not on His Word, that is where envy comes in. When we think that God isn't fair, it leads us to question the, the benefits of actually following Him. And this, this psalm clearly says that when we put our trust in our Father, it is so that we may declare His works. We should not put our trust in Him to achieve our own personal desires. That's not why we put our trust in Him. Asaph concluded that the prosperity of the wicked, unfair as it is, is only temporary. The judgment of the wicked will be eternal. And on the other hand, the suffering of the righteous, also unfair, is only temporary. The reward of the righteous will also be eternal. And in support of Asaph's conclusion, Paul makes this statement in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 17 to 18. He says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment... I want to read this again. Listen to this clearly. He says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Our trust in our Father, we can't see it right now. But it is eternal. His love for us, maybe you can't see it right now, but it is eternal. There are three key points, or three key action points really, that Asaph took to get out of his distress about this presumed unfairness of Abba Father. And I want to share these three key key actions with you. The first one is... uh, Face your responsibility as a believer to others. Face your responsibility as a believer to others. And in Psalm 73 verse 15, Asaph writes, he says, If I had said I will speak thus, behold, I have been untrue to the generation of uh, uh, of your children. 
He says, if I continue with this, with this pity party that I'm in, I'm going to be unfair to everybody else. I'm going to be unfair to the people of the future. And they will not understand where they need to focus. And that is what Asaph is actually talking about. So what did he do? Asaph turned from his self-centered focus and faced up to his responsibility as a believer to his fellow believers. And that is why Paul wrote in Philippians 2 verse 3, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. But that's not the way that we do things. We look at others and say, but I'm better than he is. Or I'm better than she is. So why are they receiving everything and I'm not? Second thing. Take time to think biblically about matters before you act. In Psalm 73 verse 16 to 17, Asaph writes, he says, When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. And this is the same for every one of us. If you are going to try and work this out, it's going to be too painful for you. You will never get to an answer. And sometimes, yes, it's sad, but you will never get to an answer. But listen to what he says in verse 17. He says, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. Asaph no longer relied on his own understanding. It was only when he gained insight into the will and the truth of our Father's word that he began to see things in a completely different light. And if we do not stay close to our Father, we will become very bitter and we will become cynical. We will only see the injustice of the world and miss the righteousness of God. The third thing, recognize that our Father is your only guide and your only counsel. In Psalm 73, verse 23 to 24, Asaph writes, Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. And regardless of what you are going through right now, our Father will always be with you to guide you and to counsel you, to be with you. He will never let you go, but then you need to recognize that He is always there for you. And that is the biggest problem that we have. We don't recognize that He is always with us. Sometimes we think that He has left us. That He's left us alone. But He's always there. Isaiah 4, 41 verse 10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. He says, I will support you and guide you regardless of the situation that you find yourself in. And it is only when we stand strong in the knowledge of our Father's faithfulness that we will be able to enter this new year with trust and with authority. And not our authority, but with His authority, because He says that He will give us the authority to live through all the things that we experience. But then we should not be looking at the past and feeling that life has not been fair to us. We should be looking forward unto Yeshua who strengthens us. And it is for this reason why Paul, that Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7 to 10. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. 
We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. And you can read as a say and say that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in my body. That He will be with us. That He will lead us. That He will guide us. And even though that you are feeling that, that life is not fair, we will never be able to be struck down if we believe in Him. If we trust in Him. If we trust in His power and not on our own. May 2020 be a year of victory, of renewal, and of true transformation so that each one of us will experience our Father's guidance and His counsel. And through our obedience and love for Him, we will declare His glory in this world that needed so much. As believers, we've got to need, we need to stand together. We need to support one another. Because that is what Yeshua requested from each one of us. And as a body together, we can live in His authority. And we can live in His power. And we can get through everything that life throws at us. And then we will not look at the unfair things that happen, but we will look at what is the next thing that Yeshua will be able to do for us. What is the next miracle we can experience? Because miracles are not always big things. Sometimes it's in the small things that we actually experience the miracle of who He is. And may you in this year experience these miracles in your life. So that we can deepen our relationship with Him. Get closer to Him. Understand the truth of His Word and His will for our lives. Amen. Abba Father, we want to thank You this morning for Your blessing. Lord, first I want to thank You for Your Word, because sometimes we are despaired through what we see. We are despaired through what we experience. But it is only through Your Word that we can see that You will support us in everything that happens. That You will provide the power for us to get through these difficult times. And when we, as we stand at the beginning of this year, 2020, we ask You, Abba Father, that you, you will guide us in transformation. That we will continue to transform into the image of Your Son, Yeshua, Messiah, Jesus Christ. That we will live godly lives. That we will not look back in the past. But that we will look forward unto you. So that we can walk in victory. In this year to come. And we praise and we honor you for that. In the mighty name of Yeshua. Amen. Amen. Onser... Ga nou eerst um, geleendheid geef uh, om vir Jannika te doop. Ons rechtig gevoerig. <laughs> Jannika, jammer, ek het gedink, is eerst volgende week. Um, maar het gebeur soms, weet, ek sal amper 57. Um, 
Maar, um, maar dit is so belangrijk, wanneer, wanneer ons tot volle gehoorzaamheid kom aan Yeshua. Het is een belangrijke deel van ons leven. Het is een belangrike, belangrike stap wat ons neem. Want, want wanneer ons gaan kyk na die doop, dan, dan is het een gehoorzaamheidsstap waarin ons gaan. Dan word ons gehoorzaam aan sy woord. Want hy het vir ons een baie duidelike opdracht gegeen, toe hy vir ons die opdracht gegeet in Matthies um, 28 vers 19, dat hy gesê, gaan dan heen, maak disciples van alle nasies, doop hulle, in die naam van die Vader, die Seen en die Heilige Geest. En recht hierdie woord sien ons hierdie, hierdie hele proces, waar, waar Petrus sê, bekeer jou en laat jou doop. En het is wanneer ons in gehoorzaamheid tot hom kom, wanneer ons, ons hom aanvaar als ons enige verlosser, enigste verlosser, enigste redder, dan kom ons in gehoorzaamheid en dan kom ons tot die stap van die doop. En dan is het wat Paulus vir ons sê, wat is die, wat is die teken van die doop? Die teken van die doop is dit, ons, as ons gaan kyk na al die denominaties in die wereld, want elke ouwe het een ander verklaring vir wat die doop is. Maar die woord sê vir ons baie duidelik, die teken van die doop is dat ons, ons vereenselvig met die dood en die begrafnis en die opstanding van Yeshua. Dat wanneer ons symbolies in die water ingaan, dan gaan le ons die ou mens neer symbolies in die graf. En wanneer ons die ou mens neerle, en ons gaan kyk wat die woord praat van wie is die ou mens, dis Adam. En wie was Adam? Adam is die oorsprong van sonde. En wanneer ons in die water ingaan, dan le ons vir Adam, dan le ons die oorsprong van sonde in die graf neer, in die watergraf. En wanneer ons opstaan, dan staan ons op in Yeshua, die een wat lewe gee, die een wat alle sondes van ons al wegneem die een wat ons redder is. Een nieuwe leven, en dan begin ons leven van transformatie. En per keer het ons al klaar ons transformatie begin, ons net nog nie in gehoorzaamheid gekom, tot vaders opdracht, tot Jeshua's opdracht nie. En Janika, dit is rechtige voorrecht vir ochend, om jy te kan doop, ek wil jy moet gauw hier voorkom staan. Ek gaan jy nie op die spot sit nie, hoef niks te sê nie. <laughs> maar ek wil jou graag vraag, net met ons te share, Hoe kom jy die begeerd het om vir oogend gedoop te wees? Um, ek is so blij gesê wat die opdracht uitgeroep, want ek het daar die misstap op gegeen. Ek voel, ek het onlangs die reden met ek op. En as ek dat verstaan, moet jy in die getal die reden met ek op die zwaar. Maar ek het ook vir jou gebruik, want my lewe vol God meer gewerkt, om toe te laat, om ten volle my lewe te gebruik, waar hy wil. Ek kom jou wat in aanraken met mens, en ek kom om toe laat, om ten volle my lewe te gebruik, precies as wat hy wil in die lewe, net waar hy my lewe. So, dit is my besluit om die opdracht in volheid te doen vir vanavond, so, dit is altijd dat we het vanavond, ja. Amen, amen, awesome, awesome. Dankie, ek het, um, ons het, uh, as enig iemand anders is, volgend wat, wat gedoop wil word, jylle is welkom om voor in te kom, ons sal jy help moet, omdat jy daarom droog kleer het, om huis toe te vat, ons het handdoeken, en ons het goed wat jy kan aantrek, as jy gedoof wil word, maar ek wil jou uitnoem om te doen, jy is welkom, as jy nie wil nie, is ook ek uit, maar jy is welkom, ons gaan in elk geval vir Janneke doop. En dan wat ons doen is, is die woord, vir ons die opdracht gee is, wanneer ons klaar is met die proces, dan gaan sy net gauw gaan weer aantrek en droog aantrek, ons wil nie, jy sê die hele tyd, jy moet in nat, nat kleren staan nie, 
en, en wat ek dan gaan, bedoen, gaan doen is, omdat ons, da, da is a, wanneer die oomlik as ons gedoop word, is, is bevestig ons net weer die verbond wat ons met Yeshua het. En as ons die verbond bevestig met wat ons met Yeshua het, dan, dan is die volgende stap is om erkenning aan te gee, en hoe gee ons erkenning aan die verbond wat ons met hom het, is dier die verbondsmaal. En dan gaan ek die verbondsmaal aan haar bedien, en wanneer ons die verbondsmaal aan haar bedien het, dan gaan ek ook vir haar bid, zodat so sy gedoop word met die Heilige Geest, en met die kracht van die Heilige Geest. Dan is deel van ons proces. Dit is deel waar ons moet wees. Ons word nie net met die water gedoop nie, maar ons word ook dier die Geest gedoop. Ek kan haar nie met die Geest doop nie, maar ek kan vir Jeshua vraag om met die Geest te doop, want hy is die een wat ons met Geest en met vier doop. En dat sy ook die branden in haar kan hee, om, soos wat sy gesê het, die begeerte wat sy het, om, om sy voor te gaan uitdra, om hom te gaan uitdra, en sy liefde gaan, te, gaan tentoonstel, waar ook al sy gaan, en ek en sy het een lekker gesprek daar gehad, is awesome, het. ek sien nog groot dinge gebeur vir, in die omgeving. Maar so dat sy dit ook met vrijmoedigheid kan doen, en weet, dat vader is altyd met haar, en my sal jy nooit verlaat nie. Sal altyd daar wees om jy te ondersteun. So ek wil jou gevraag om te gaan aantrek, as jy klaar aangetrek het, kom dadelijk hier naar voren toe, ek gaan ook net gaan aantrek. Um, jy kan sommer een van die badkamers daarachter gebruik, is lekker groot. Um, en die worship span is klaar recht, hulle gaan uh, vir ons voortgaan in worship, en jylle kan rustig saam worship, totdat sy terug is, en ons al kan doop.